welcome to Inclusive Occupations, sharing stories of not just being invited to the party, but dancing. I'm your host, Savita Sundar. I'm a school-based occupational therapist. This podcast is a space for OTs and others who work with children and youth in education to be informed, inspired, and empowered to create an inclusive community for the students they serve. Big ideals are inspiring and nice to hear. They may not all be immediately actionable, and that is why we all like to hear practical strategies and real-life stories. So today, I invited Debbie Schwind back on the show because her scholarly contributions to the profession of occupational therapy is well-grounded in her practice as a school-based therapist. Every time I chat with her, I walk away with five or six light bulbs lit up in my head. Debbie, welcome again to our show. I cannot wait to hear all that you have to share with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so fun to share ideas with you. Yes, same here. You know, I just feel like, um, you know, we've had this conversation before, right? Like if you're a school-based OT and you're always working on handwriting and fine motor skills and then sensory issues, these are the things that we get called for all the time. And then we all want to do something different. We want to, a lot of us, I, I believe, really want to shift to more fully represent our scope. And, and for those people, I think this episode is going to be quite helpful. And you have shared so many of your experiences with me. And I'm always fascinated when I hear all your stories. And um, yeah, so I think uh, that's what we're going to do today. I want you to share with us some practical strategies on how OTs can address inclusion in schools. Sure. Right like now, I mean, we all have these big ideals. Yes. We want all our kids to be included, but every school is at different stages of getting there. So, yes, I completely (laughs) agree with you. And I feel like when we look at inclusion and we look at transition, Mm there is a continuum of those practices and transition does doesn't happen when somebody turns 22 we have to slowly give them opportunities to develop these skills over a long period of time. And ultimately, we really want inclusion in society. And again, it just doesn't happen when we turn 22 that we're automatically included. It needs to happen from the very beginning. And for some students, that might be full inclusion from day one, For other students, even at parent request, full inclusion may be too much, that maybe they need time out of the general education classroom to kind of regroup or, um, you know, to give opportunities to self-regulate or to have opportunities when there's downtime or quiet time because we know a classroom is full of auditory requirements and auditory needs. And for some of our students, it's too much. It's too much to process. It's overwhelming. So I think it's important to look at continuum, the the continuum of inclusion and the continuum of transition and to think what ideally we want to get to 
is our students to all be successful upon graduation and for mm -hmm. our students to ultimately be fully included. And that, again, it may not happen from day one, but our goal for all of us is for that to happen at some point. And, you know, I just think as OTs, we bring such a unique perspective and we really believe in looking at a child holistically and we believe at looking at a child very individualized in a very individualized way. Um, so I think, you know, every state is very different. Like you just said, every mm -hmm. school district is very different within a state. And, um, you know, some states don't practice inclusion very well. Mm -hmm. Others practice it really well. But again, we're on this journey and we're on this continuum. And if you think about school-based practice 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it looks very different now. So we're still evolving and we're still developing and we're still getting there. Um, but it's important for us as OTs to really use our full domain of practice in the school system. And like you said, we limit ourselves to this fine motor performance skill set and to this sensory processing skill set. And we have so much more to offer. And if we think about how those two things impact occupation, then if we if we feel most comfortable in sensory and we feel most comfortable in fine motor, think outside of the language arts box then. Think outside of the handwriting box. Where else are they doing motor? They're doing motor mm -hmm. in the art room. Are you going into the art room? And especially for our students with physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. For my county that I work in, we have self-contained classrooms. However, all of our self-contained students, all of our students in self-contained classrooms go into the general education classroom. Some of them mm -hmm. for hours in a day, some of them for less than that. It's individualized based upon their needs and their abilities um, and not abilities cognitively, but what they're able to handle in a day. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, I think, I think what you're saying is, um, it, first of all, I think it's having that mindset to enable our students to get the most out of their school experience. I think a school should have that openness and that mindset. And, you know, most schools, I don't know what's out there, but just in my experience, um, over the years, that's not everybody's philosophy. They right. don't prioritize that. They don't prioritize that. And right. the second thing is, even if they they want to do it, they're not able to envision it. Just the challenges to get that going come in front of them. Right. Sort of the staff, inconsistent staff. Yeah. And I think all so. these things pile in up in front of them yeah, yeah. and no that's okay and i think sometimes it's because we're not thinking of inclusion and transition as a continuum we're thinking mm -hmm. of as it all or none and so we're not um biting 
off little chunks in order to get to that end all be all end result. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, OT is very holistic and we can look at things in very a very top down manner, but we don't always do that in the school system. We sometimes, many times, look at our students from the bottom up and I call it slicing and dicing. And we slice them up into visual motor and visual processing and fine motor and sensory and, you know, hopefully ADLs and hopefully IADLs, but we slice and dice instead of looking at the big picture. You know, what are they expected to do? What are their occupations throughout the day? And Mm -hmm. what are the barriers to preventing them from achieving that occupation? and addressing it that way. Um, So a great example is I have a student in middle school with Down syndrome and he is in band. He Mm -hmm. is not in any type of self-contained program. He is in all gen ed classes and he is in band. And ultimately what he would like to do, his older sister plays in the band at the high school And he would really like to be able to be part of the band. Um, Mm -hmm. And mom recognizes that it may be difficult for him to have to play an instrument and also learn all of the different marching formations. So her thought was, you know, in, in her mind, let's let him play percussion because in percussion, they're not marching. They more stay up at the front of the football field and while all uh-huh. the other kids are marching. So he would not have to learn the formation. So that was her okay. thought, which I thought think is awesome. And mm-hmm. so he enrolled in band as his elective and he's just really struggling with it because they move so quick at such a fast pace. And, you know, it's like they learn the chords and learn the notes and all of a sudden they're playing like Mozart or Beethoven or, you know, March of the Bumblebees or whatever. And uh-huh. it was just too much for him. And so this love of music became very frustrating for him. So mm-hmm. I went and talked to the teacher and tried to figure out, you know, what I could do as an OT to help modify the materials to help adapt some of the materials and to come up with other strategies. So uh, we ended up doing a lot of different things for him. And Mm -hmm. some of the things were, let's only have him play part of a song. Instead of trying to remember this five page piece, let's cut it down, let's shorten it so it's not so overwhelming for him. And Mm -hmm. he was having a hard time just with the pace of it and processing all this information, you know, looking at the note, trying to read the note, trying to figure out where it was on the instrument and play it. Um, So what we ended up doing also was marking off some of the um, clef or the staff and um, mm-hmm. allowing him only to play certain pieces of the, um, the, the uh, music score sheet. Um, but okay. then in addition to that, um, we also gave him familiar pieces to learn to play. So he felt successful. And I talked mm-hmm. to him, and again, he's in seventh grade. He is really incredible to work with. And I said, oh. you know, if you were to go to China and you were going to learn their language, 
you would not start reading Harry Potter in Chinese. You would start reading easier books because the easier books you're familiar with. And you would know if you made a mistake because they're familiar books to you. And Mm -hmm. um, so I said, because of that, I want us to start playing some familiar songs. Because when he was playing these higher level pieces, he didn't know when he was making a mistake because it was not a familiar song to him. So there was no autocorrection, if you will. So Mm -hmm. I created um, a book for him um, and it was using book creator app and I put all kinds of familiar songs in there like happy birthday to you and if you're happy and you know it and Mary had a little Mm -hmm. lamb and just familiar songs so that he felt confident and he could learn the notes and again I compared it to Harry Potter and Chinese and he completely Mm -hmm. got it he completely Uh understood that and um so anyway he started learning how to play happy birthday and he is able to play that to his classmates on the day Mm -hmm. of their birthday to the rest of the class and um so that's instant instant gratification yeah 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 and then i also created all kinds of materials for him um and he's virtual he's a virtual student and so i have created all kinds of materials for him using lesson picks And so I'll drop off materials at his house. And then I have materials here at my house and we'll play go fish. And Mm -hmm. I will, it's with no, it's with the uh, music notes. So I'll ask him, do you have a B and he'll have his cards in front of him and I'll have my cards in front of me as a way to help learn the notes, um, on the, uh, uh, on the staff. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we've done all kinds of games like that as a way to help him access that curriculum to make him feel successful in that occupation as band member, as band Mm -hmm. student. And hopefully he is able to create this as a leisure activity that he can join the club in high school and be part of the marching band um, Mm -hmm. and create opportunities for him to socially participate and be part of a community in his high school. That's fantastic. That is that is so. Um, that that's probably going to inspire a lot of ideas in a lot of listeners. I'm sure. Um, just just even making that a possibility for for students. You know, I think I think a lot of his lot of lot of um, a lot of our parents don't even see that as a possibility for some of their kiddos to do right right if they make it a possibility and then then you can pull in ot services in there yeah ot to support them i mean i cannot right? emphasize to parents and staff members enough that especially in middle school and high school these electives these specials mm-hmm. if you will are so mm-hmm. important for career development and for leisure interests. And there is a correlation between developing leisure interests and leading to career interests. And mm-hmm. in some of the family and consumer science classes, learning these functional life skills also corresponds mm-hmm. to better success 
upon graduation. And these all fit into our domain. So I know sometimes I'll get questions about, you know, what kind of goal are you supporting when you do, when you go in there? And it's really individualized to the student. But for him, Mm -hmm. his goal was a self-advocacy goal that he Mm -hmm. would know how to ask for help when he was struggling because he would immediately get upset and get really, get really hard on himself before he would ask for help. And I think it was just probably more of a habit uh, that he had developed. So I was supporting a self-advocacy goal. And, um, but, you know, again, it's very individualized to every student. And I think it's important that even if we don't have a goal per se, on one of our other domains of practice, such as, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, I don't know, leisure, I'm just bringing leisure up again, but it could be on rest and sleep or something like that. But they may not have a goal on rest and sleep. Maybe their goal is on handwriting, but there is no reason why we cannot write about rest and sleep, why it's so important. How much sleep do you need? How do you get yourself to sleep? Are you watching the computer before you go to bed? There's no reason why we cannot pull in health and wellness type issues, social skills, all of those things, embed them into whatever it is that we're doing. Um, Debbie, don't you think, do you, I don't know, I mean, like you, you're, you're, you've been in the school district for a long time and you know your teachers well and you have, you have made them understand what the scope of an OT is. But in other places, do, do teachers and admins really know, do they know our domain of practice? Or do they just take it as, or are they just unclear about it? Or do they just taken what they have seen OTs do in the past and keep that as their frame of, you know, reference. Yeah, I think that that's probably a big part of it. And I I still have that, though, um, because we have a lot of turnover in our county. We have, um, it's one of the fastest growing school districts in the country. So there's a lot of turnover. People will go to a new school that's closer to their house when a new school opens. And we open up new schools every year in our county. So it's, it is constantly educating and showing. And you're right. If somebody has already worked with a previous OT and that OT has only worked on handwriting, then in their mind, that's our role. That's our job. And they're not even going to think another thought about referring or bringing up a problem that's outside of the fine motor handwriting sensory box. Yes. To an OT, yes. Yes. Right? And, and that's all wrong because we're not looking into these things. We're looking into participation in the different keep, areas right? in school. Right. Right. That is when you have a challenge in those areas, then you could bring in an OT to be part of the team to help you brainstorm and come up with solutions. Absolutely. So, you know, I want to share something with you. (laughs) Well, this is this just happened like a month ago. And this um, educational instructional uh, support person came into my room and said she and she she said there's a student in fifth grade and we have tried everything with him and he is on a 504 and we're trying to keep him from having an IEP 
you know, we've done all these different things. I can't get him motivated enough to do his best with the reading. He just gets so tired. And so, and I was like, wow, for the first time ever in my life, somebody has come to me all of a sudden. I'm a new OT, mind you, for this, in this uh, school. Somebody has come to me and they have asked me all these questions. And I went ahead and I researched upon, you know, read through his information and everything and then the next day uh, the next week um, I go back and I say um, what happened did you guys have they were supposed to have a meeting to discuss this and um, I unfortunately couldn't go because I had something else conflicting at the same time so I go in and I said what happened you know I just wanted to talk about him and she's like oh I am so sorry I mistook you for somebody else don't even worry about it just don't even worry about it um, I, I thought you were uh, a different person that I was supposed to contact and I didn't know you were an OT and you have nothing to do with this. Don't worry about it. You can be out of the picture. <laughs> one, one thing less for you to worry about. I was like, I felt so like, you know, um, what do you, you know, like a drop of Yeah, defeated. <laughs> Maybe you felt defeated. So defeated. I felt so defeated. I felt so, see, it, it's, it's going to be a hard hard journey yeah. difficult journey yeah to I, to articulate myself and to say and and it's a catch-22 situation right if I don't have the opportunity to address these needs I'm never going to learn and if I don't show demonstrate my skills they're never going to call right me. right so it's a catch-22 situation where stuff right happens. it is and I guess in a situation like that, since you don't know the student and you don't want to predetermine that they do or do not need an OT evaluation, um, you know, a follow-up might be, I just want to let you know that, you know, literacy and reading is an occupation and um, there may be some things that an OT could help a student with and, um, you know, maybe I could collaborate. I don't have to have everyone on service, right. but I can collaborate right. with the team. I can do RTI. Right. I can do RTI. Right. You know, but you have to know. You have to know to include me in RTI. Right. Right. So it's 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 just um, heartbreaking sometimes. Yes, it is. It is. I mean, sometimes the door is open and sometimes the door closes, and that's just I think naturally the way it is for anything. Um, but just, just keep, keep pushing and, um, you know, just showing your value, (laughs) yeah, showing your value in other things. Um, and, you know, I have another student that, um, is at the high school actually, and she also has Down syndrome and is 22 now. So she's getting ready to um, leave the school system. But I have mm-hmm. known her since kindergarten. And one of the number one predictors of success upon graduation it, it, for employment specifically is whether or not a student has an internship volunteer work or paid work at 16 and Mm -hmm. so again we think about where we want our students to be and what we want them to do we can't think about work at 22 we need to think about work at 16 like their peers and what Mm -hmm. skills are they missing most of the 
students are missing social skills and they're missing work behaviors, um, such as, you know, proper attire, proper interactions with their coworkers, coming to work on time, hygiene, all those types of things that fall into our area and our domains of practice. So this particular student at 16, um, I've still kept in touch with the family and the mom asked if I thought that could she volunteer and be an intern at the elementary school that she went to. And so I was able to talk with the principal and the assistant principal who were completely on board with it and was able to talk to the preschool classroom because since she had never been in an environment as an intern before, she's been in many classrooms as a student, but she's never Uh been in the role of being the teacher or the assistant. She's never had authority in the classroom. So I did not want to put her in a situation where I thought she could fail. Uh, So we graded the environment, we graded the expectations, and we slowly built up to larger environments. So in the preschool classroom, there was only 10 students, two adults, and then she was in there and she had a job coach. And then the SLP, the OT, the PT always filter in as well. But she started off just, you know, two days a week for a couple hours. And that was at 16. And then at 17, she was doing really good. We increased her number of days. We increased her number of hours. Then when she turned 18, we were like, you know what? She's doing really well in here. She probably reads on maybe a first grade level. But Mm -hmm. she was doing really well. She was being a helper in the preschool room. She was interacting with the students. She was helping them with their coats, helping them get packed up, helping them out at recess. She was setting up centers, Mm -hmm. wiping down tables, helping them with snacks. Mm -hmm. And we thought, you know what, maybe she's ready for an environment that's a little bit bigger and a little bit more hustle bustle, a little bit more chaotic. And we thought maybe she could volunteer and be an intern in a kindergarten classroom. So then we we did that, and she did well with that for a year or two, and then we transitioned her to the larger cafeteria. And so when did she start again? She started when when she was sixteen. Okay, so when she just entered high school. Oh, or a year after. Yeah, she was. Yes. Yes. Uh And Uh um, so this was part of her instructional day. It was part of her IEP minutes. Um, It was a Uh community-based instruction type of a program, and she had Uh specific community-based instruction minutes on her IEP. And um, so now for the past two years, she has been working in the cafeteria. So now she's in this larger environment that's definitely more chaotic and um wow. yeah <laughs> that is that is interesting yeah, yeah. so now yeah. she stocks the ice cream cart she works on the ice cream cart she wipes down the tables she helps the students with their packages um you know she helps them if they need more napkins or more straws she's doing the same almost the same exact thing as the lunch ladies do in the cafeteria and she is so incredibly proud of herself. Uh, the principal absolutely adores her and has given her a staff t-shirt. So she looks just like the rest of the staff members. And she is so yeah, she's very proud of herself. And um, 
you know, I was, I have helped her along the way. I've come up with schedules. I've coordinated with the teachers. Um, she's not in the elementary school uh, that I work in, but she has come back to the elementary school as an intern. So even though she is at the high school, I serve her as the OT since she's doing the internship there and I see her more than the OT does at the high school. So I've been able to come up with the visuals, come up with the schedule, come up with the job expectations, come up with her checklist. If there's specific social skills that we want her to work on, um, then I will um, come up with scripts and I will work with her SLP. And then the SLP will practice those scripts with her during her speech session at the high school. Um, so she... At, you know, COVID hit a year ago and we got shut down and mm -hmm. she was just so upset that she just felt like her job was over. She wasn't going to be able to come back. And well, I can imagine, I mean, it's, it's so yes. hard. It's so hard for our kids since they've gotten into a routine and things are going well and then getting back is going to be it a is. So she came back in October, um, but her job okay. looked very different because we had, maybe a quarter of the kids. We did not have a lunch line. The students had to um, grab a bag lunch. Um, we didn't have ice cream cart anymore. Um, but I was able to go and talk with the cafeteria manager about the types of jobs he wanted her to do. So I took video. I did video modeling. I made books. I made um, little cards because every day she would pack breakfast bags. The students were getting breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And she would package mm. all the breakfast bags. And the breakfast bags were different every day. Um, sometimes mm. they got juice. Sometimes they got milk. Sometimes they got fr fresh fruit. Sometimes they got canned fruit. Um, so I had her practice before she came back into the building in October using just visual cards, you know, you are packing breakfast today and you need to put in, you know, one milk, one napkin, one straw, one fruit cup. And um, so mm -hmm. I had like maybe 30 or 40 different visuals and she had to practice packing lunches using these visuals. And um, mm -hmm. Debbie, I'm just thinking, you know, I'm just like this thought just came to my mind when, you, when we when we do all these pre-vocational trainings for our our students in middle school and high school, we kind of come up with all these different activities. But to be able to know where they're actually going to be heading to and then practice those, that's just going to be so valuable. Yes, you have to go out and do site visits. Absolutely. And yeah, and I think OTs have a huge role to play. If we can set up pre-vocational training for schools, um, you know, create programs that the teachers can run. I mean, teachers do a lot of yes. these things yes. right now. And if, if two minds can go on together to do it, it's just going to be a rich Absolutely. Program, Absolutely. With the expertise that we can bring in with our, you know, with our ability for our activity analysis right. skills. And to be able to um, collaboratively do those things and to keep in check with, with reality what's going to happen to our yeah. students when they leave. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, I think having that reference will be really meaningful. Yeah. 
and even that will bring it bring to um, bring to our our awareness what is reality for right. our kids and what can we do if the reality looks really bleak what can we do about right. it right. and i so, we have to practice it early we can't wait until mm-hmm. um you know 16 or 17 to start developing it because ideally 16 or 17 they already should be doing an internship or paid work so we need to start developing these skills very early and at 16, we should not be doing work task boxes. And I know in some areas, especially rural areas, it might be more difficult just with, you know, busing and transportation and just different opportunities. But task boxes are fantastic for teaching a task, but they're not necessarily Mm -hmm. generalization to the real thing. So as OTs, it's really important for us to go out to these job sites and these internship sites and try to figure out what is the barrier, what is causing them um, to not be successful with a specific task. And I actually have another example to share. Um, I'm part of a project search program and project searches mm-hmm. for students 18 to 22. They've already graduated, um, but they can stay on and do this internship. So they don't actually even report to school. They still have an IEP and they're still a student in the county, but they do not report to school. They report to an internship site. And they do three different rotations, each is three months. And I had a student who um, was, I don't know, I don't remember how old she was, but somewhere between 18 and 22. If a parent decides and a student decides to go this route, it has to be their last year of school. That's just the way Project Search is set up. And Project Search is an international program. So anyway, Uh the student was probably 20 or 21, um, had an intellectual disability, had low muscle tone, and she was working in the kitchen of a very large conference center, beautiful conference center on the Potomac River, absolutely unbelievable. And she was working in the kitchen. And um, in the kitchen, she was responsible for making cookies. And the cookies were had to be put on these really large cookie sheets. And they were just too mm-hmm. heavy for her to pick up and slide into this rolling cart. And the rolling cart probably mm-hmm. had about 20 different racks on it. And then you would roll the whole entire rack into this large oven. Um, And so Mm -hmm. what was happening was when she would try to pick up the um, cookie sheet, the the cookies would all move, slide down, and then they would up against the edge of the cookie sheet. And this conference center was very meticulous about the food they served, and they had to be perfectly round. And if they were not perfectly round, Mm -hmm. they were thrown out. So they were losing a lot of cookies. Um, so I went and observed her and I said, you know, this one long rectangular cookie sheet could actually be two smaller rectangle cookie sheets going the opposite way. So instead of one long one going in, let's 
turn it around and do two short ones. So that helped in and of itself. And again, that's activity analysis, understanding this, Mm -hmm. you know, the range of motion, the strength that's required, um, you know, looking at your fulcrum and your arm and um, where is the weight of this and how can we leverage this so it's a little bit easier for her. But in addition, Mm -hmm. we came up with other strategies and they had to use um, wax paper. So I said, how about if we just spray some Pam on the cookie sheet, put the wax paper on top so that it kind of sticks. So that also helped. Such simple ideas that can make a huge world of a difference. That's what we're all about. (laughs) Exactly. And so then Mm -hmm. one of the other activities was on the internship site, again, they don't go to the school building, but there is a classroom that they go to on the internship site. And in that classroom, they might be learning about proper hygiene, or they might be learning about um, transportation to the facility, or navigating the facility, or personal and interaction skills, all kinds of different things that they might learn about in the classroom. And they also practice some of these tasks in the classroom. So this was a large conference center. So there was a bed and they would practice making the beds. There were, um, you know, sugar containers and they would practice putting the sugar containers in or folding napkins, that sort of thing. So I said, let's practice Mm -hmm. using these cookie sheets in the classroom at the conference center. And what we did was we took um, Play-Doh sized cookies and put them on the cookie sheet so that she had the proper weight and she could practice. But in addition, what we did was we stuck a marble inside each of the pretend Play-Doh cookies to make sure that she wasn't Mm -hmm. tilting it and making sure the marbles mm-hmm. stayed on the cookies. Uh, so again, that <laughs> was nice, all activity analysis and problem solving. And we as OTs mm-hmm. are the experts. It just comes yes. naturally to OT. What we do. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So in that particular site, you know, I actually had a supervisor in my county tell me that, oh, I don't think you'll really need to work with her because her handwriting is fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'm so glad you said this, Debbie, because I'm sure a lot of OTs are like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what you hear. (laughs) So I was able to, you know, I, I didn't even have to explain anything to her. She heard what I had done and what I had been able to do. And I think that's when she was kind of like, oh, okay. I understand that there's other things that you can do now. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, we, it, it may not always necessarily be about us educating others through in-services. While I think that that is also a fantastic way of, Um, letting other people know what we can do. I think it's also just doing it, embedding social skills into, if if you are stuck on writing, embed social skills in your writing, embed zones of regulation into your writing, and, you know, embed Mm -hmm. all these things into your practice so that people can start understanding Mm -hmm. how much knowledge you have as an OT. And maybe we can change our, 
change the perceptions by going through the back door like this. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really nice piece of wisdom that you gave us. Just, just in through our action, show what we are capable of, what we can do, what our role is, and not just. I mean, definitely in services and um, you know, trainings and all those things are are good. But tell me, yes. I forget, right? And then show exactly. me. <laughs> exactly. Remember, do it with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's it's so important. That's you know, I'll ask the therapist, have you gone into the cafeteria to see if they can handle the tray? Can they use utensils? Can they open the packages? Have you gone into the art room? Can they hold a paintbrush? Do they need a universal cuff? Do we need to adapt it? Can they hold a stylus? Can they access the keyboard? You know, we are talking about someone who has a neurodegenerative type of a disease, if they have cerebral palsy, if they have, uh, maybe they're a hemi or a quadriplegic, um, you know, whatever it is, going into all of the classrooms and can they operate? If they, I have a student with low vision who is doing sewing and it is, you know, looking at, how can he do this? What can I do? Doing that activity analysis and looking at what the project is, what the SOL or, or what their standard is that they're trying to um, achieve. In the state of Virginia, we have SOLs or standards of learning. It's common core basically with, by another name. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what is the standard that mm -hmm. they're trying to accomplish and how can I adapt this so he can do this on his own? So for sewing, for one of my students, you know, they had to thread a small needle. He couldn't see the needle. So we got a really large mm -hmm. plastic um, um, it was a needle, but it was very large plastic. The eye on it was very large. And um, we used uh -huh. the plastic um, jute kind of stuff. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but it was basically plastic string. Um, but it was very rigid. Uh -huh. And um, we used plastic cross-stitch um, um, patterns mm -hmm. and then we also used um, foam and I hole punched holes in the foam so it became like a lacing card that he could sew um, and mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. again he, he was in a self-contained classroom for students with intellectual disabilities he had low vision and mm -hmm. he would go into the gen ed family and consumer science classroom or home at classroom and so he was around typical mm -hmm. peers, gen ed peers. He was always paired up in a group um, with typical peers. And for the sewing project, when it came time for them to actually use the sewing machine, um, the teacher had them mm -hmm. learn how to sew on a piece of paper first. And they had to learn how to sew a straight line, a jagged line, a diagonal line, all these things. So I used a, a really mm -hmm. wide like poster Sharpie to um, make mm -hmm. the lines on his paper so that he could see the lines. But even that, he could uh, see the lines, but the needle just really scared him. He was worried he was going to get his hand stuck in the needle. So in his group, one of the gen ed peers, they got together and they problem solved on their own how they were going to do this together. And so what ended up happening was this gen ed peer um, was holding the paper and guiding the paper 
and my student was operating the foot pedal. And so they sat on a chair. That just happens yes. so naturally, right? Kids just know yeah. how to And support. the thing that's so incredible about that yeah. is now this peer who is going to go out into the working world knows how to interact, knows how to engage with somebody who may be a little learned differently than him and has different abilities, mm-hmm. but is very, is very, uh, feels very natural around that and knows how to interact with them, sees their abilities, sees their potential, and hopefully will, um, you know, hire them or be very happy to work with them. Yeah. So these barriers... Yeah. And I think this, yeah, this is like a, 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 a point. This just brings it to me that if these services are available and it, to, to reassure to the management or the vision setters of schools to make inclusion possible, you know, make it an option, make it, make it the way of life. And we can make it happen for you by stepping in. Right right? Our, our services can be used so much yes. more effectively if you, if you are able to open up these opportunities for, for our students who are in self-contained classrooms. I mean, I, your school district seems to be doing well, but a lot of schools don't even get there because they don't think they have right. the supports to do that. And, and OTs can right. just I mean, do that, right? We can support the teachers. We are they... the MacGyvers, and it's not just MacGyvering and adapting a tool, but we can adapt the curriculum. We can adapt the Google Slide Deck. Yeah. We can adapt the assignments mm-hmm. and so that they can access it, and they can access it as independently as possible. And what kind of self-confidence has that built in someone when they have ownership that they have done this and they have accomplished this on their own? Yes. Yep. Yep. I, yeah, I really, I really want to see this happening very soon in many, many schools. And it's so fun. It's so fun. It's so rewarding to see your students. Yeah. I really, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah. I hope, I hope our OT listeners find this as a calling, as a call for yeah. Think conclusion. And think you conclusion. know, when you think about the family and consumer science classes, you think about tech ed. Those are really IEDLs. Mm-hmm. You think about band. You think about mm-hmm. art. Those are really leisure skills and self regulation. Um, so they all fall in our domain and. The students are all doing an occupation in there. They're all doing activities that we can analyze to promote access mm-hmm. and participation and engagement. Yes, totally. <laughs> Thank you so much, Debbie. I think uh, I think this was this. You, you're just helping us envision possibilities when you share these experiences of yours. Um, and yeah, and, 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 and just making a case for OTs to feel confident and feel reassured that this is what we came into this profession for, right? To make a difference in the lives of our kids. And, and our scope is larger than what, what people think it is. And we are the ones responsible to absolutely. To so, 
Yes. <laughs> Thanks again, Debbie. This oh, well, thank really you fun. for having me back. It's always a joy to <laughs> chat with you and talk with you and hear what else is happening in other parts of our country. And, um, you know, we learn the best from each other. So I really appreciate you having me yes. back. <laughs>